Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. My name is Donna Milgram, Executive Director of the Institute for Women in Trades, Technology, and Science. And I'm so excited to welcome you to this session of the STEM Success for Women Telesummit, funded by the National Science Foundation. We have an interview with a very special guest, and then at the end of the session, I'll tell you how you can access the recording and transcript. Our guest today is Dr. Mary Anderson Rowland, Director of Academic Success Programs for the School of Computing, Informatics, and Decision Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. And Dr. Rowland directs two academic scholarship programs, including one for community college transfer students. She was the Associate Dean of Student Affairs in the Ira Fulton School of Engineering at Arizona State University from 93 to 2004 and was named a top 5% teacher in the Fulton School of Engineering in 2009 through 10. She received the WePan Engineering Educator Award in 2009, the ASCE Minorities Award in 2006, the Society for Hispanic Professional Educator of the Year in 2005, the National Engineering Award in 2003, the highest honor given by the American Association of Engineering Societies, and in 2002, she was named the Distinguished Engineering Educator by the Society of Women Engineers. Dr. Rowland has over 200 publications, primarily in the areas of recruitment and retention of women and underrepresented minority engineering and computer science students. Her awards are based on her mentoring of students, especially women and underrepresented minority students, and her research is in the areas of recruitment and retention. She has achieved an average of 40% female enrollment and a 90% graduation rate for two STEM academic scholarship programs she directs at Arizona State University. Isn't that outstanding? Welcome, Mary, and thank you so much for joining me for the STEM Success for Women Telesummit. Thank you, Donna. My work has been uh, primarily with transfer women and men, but in general, what I'm going to be talking about today works just as well for Native students. And a lot of what we'll talk about is going to be tough love, which is good for all students. And I also just want to let you know that when I use the word engineering, I'm including computer science. It's just a little bit easier to just say the one word, but I'm always including computer science in that word. Great. So that is good, good to know um, that we're talking about both and that these students work, uh, that these strategies also work for Native students in addition to students of color and students in general. So before we go dive into the uh, information about the strategies and the tough love, I would like you just to share a little bit about the before and after numbers so that our listeners know these strategies really work um, and, and set that up before we dive into the, the detail on the strategies. Certainly, Donna. Nationally, 
in general, 70% of transfer students who go to colleges and universities graduate. At ASU, 70% of upper division transfers in engineering and computer science graduate, but this number is only 64% for females. Now, in our program, we have, in our scholarship program, we have 95% graduation rate for both men and women. Then nationally, if we look at the number of engineering graduates who go right on to graduate school, this number is estimated to be at about 20%. We know at ASU in general, about 11% of transfer students continue right on to graduate school. However, in our program, we now have 50% of all transfer graduates all transfer graduates going right on to graduate school. When we first began our programs in about 2002-2003, we only 30% of the transfer students went to graduate school and about 40% of the native students. Then it it grew to about 50% of the native students, 40% of the transfer students, and now in the last several years we have 50% going to graduate school for both transfers and native students. Now we get, we have to keep in mind how fantastic these numbers are because these students all had financial un unmet financial need and 60% of these scholarship students were females or underrepresented minority and also on top of that many of these students are first generation students who have no role models that is amazing and when you say first generation students first generation going to college is that right right going to college and some uh, that means they didn't even go to a community college. And so there hasn't been, there isn't that usual encouragement at home or the general kind of support. Uh, the parents might want to give it to their students, but they're unable to because they've never experienced college. That is amazing. 95% retention rate and 50% of those of those students going on to graduate school, even though they, as you say, majority are first generation going to college and you know you're comparing it to uh you know both national numbers and the numbers at the overall uh you know uh school and so these are students who generally are considered to be uh less prepared um and when they're coming when they're transfer students but yet you have these amazing results now let me just ask you one question which is can you define native uh, for our listeners? Uh, who are you referring to when you're talking about native? I'm calling a native student anyone that's not a transfer. So they started school as a freshman. They started the college as a freshman. They didn't go through a two-year school first. Okay. Or, or, however, we do have some transfer students that started a four-year school, didn't do well there, and then transfer in. Uh, but that is a, a, not a very large majority of the students that I'm working with. Okay. So it sounds like your strategies actually work for everybody. It's a win-win. Yes, it really is. So with, special, with special attention to the transfer students. Okay. So give us a little thumbnail sketch of your STEM program for transfer students. I know it's sponsored by the National Science Foundation, but tell, give a little thumbnail sketch as an overview for our listeners. Sure. Um, the program is essentially uh, composed of three parts. The first part is a scholarship, and we give a scholarship of $4,000 per year. Now, that may not seem like a very large scholarship, but um, our tuition is, is 10000 which is very reasonable for a university, so it's about 25% of tuition. 
However, we each year have many more uh, good applicants than we can award scholarships. So we also we started having a $300 scholarship. This is for students who qualified but didn't get a scholarship. And if they attend the scholarship class and get an A, then at the end of the semester they can get $300. And they can do this for up to two semesters. It's because uh, we know that this, the class that we have, the academic success and professional development class, is so important for these students. Now, obviously, the $4,000 scholarship also helps the students so they don't have to work as much, and in some cases, they don't have to work at all. Now, the academic success and professional development class is required of the students who get our scholarships. I'm a firm believer that just giving money doesn't help a student learn or do well academically necessarily. They need encouragement. They need assignments that are going to make them do what they need to do. And so if you just have seminars and workshops that don't have credit or a grade, you can give the students assignments, but it's very unlikely that they're going to complete those assignments. But if you have a situation, well, here are the assignments, you need to do these. If you don't do them and you don't pass the class, uh, your scholarship will not continue. And so this is a little bit a part of the tough love. Uh, NIS, the National Institute for the Study of Transfer Students, really uh, is a firm believer in tough love. Also, they will sit, tell you that transfer students have so many choices to make, and part of their problem is maybe sometimes in not being able to make that choice. So don't give choices. Tell them what they need to do, and um, they'll follow it, and they'll, they'll succeed. The third part of this is a center for transfer students. We call it our MET Center. MET stands for Motivated Engineering Transfer Students. It's their home away from home. Uh, you need to understand that ASU is the largest university in the nation, and we have the largest single campus uh, in the nation. And this is the campus on which our transfer students in engineering and computer science reside. And so they've come from a small school where it's easy to park, and now they're in large classes, a pretty impersonal um, situation in many cases. And we have 300 to 400 students, trans students, 70% of whom are transfer students. So 300 to 400 students that frequent our center each semester. And they do networking, <laughs> they can do studying. Uh, they, if they came from their community college and they're in a different major, they don't see uh, the other students from their community college, but if they come into the center, they're likely to see them. They can study. We have a refrigerator, microwave there. They can eat their lunch. It's run by a director, and the this director is an engineer. She has both a master's and a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, worked as an engineer, also has an MBA, and is familiar with entrepreneurial uh, business since her own husband started um, a business. So she is a fantastic resource for these students. She can help them with their resume or she can help them if they, if they come in and say, I've got three job offers, which one should I take? Those are the problems. She loves loves to just have the students, hey, talk to me. And she can tell by the way they present it which job they really do want. So we also in the center have um, several transfer students manning the desks at all times. And so a student, if they have a question, doesn't don't have to wait for an appointment. They can just walk into the center, talk to a student anytime, and get help. And I'll just give you an example. Here's a student who's taking a class, and they're told, excuse me, <coughs> that they have to know MATLAB. Okay, in addition to the director, we have transfer students working in the center Students can walk in and ask them questions anytime. And for example, here's a student who's taking a class 
and they're told that they need to have MATLAB and the student is not head MATLAB. So they'll walk in and say, what do I do? Well, the students either will know or know someone who knows that they can direct them to a certain website and do a tutorial, and they'll say, okay, this is a three-hour tutorial, but if you go through it carefully, you'll be able to pick up what you need for MATLAB on MATLAB for this class so they can get their problem solved. And that's one of the biggest problems for transfer students is they don't know what they don't know. Now, the academic success class is this third part, and we have seven classes that last 75 minutes each semester, plus a, an eighth class, and the eighth class is for any new students to the program who don't know the guaranteed 4.0 plan by Donna O. Johnson, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's basically a system to learn how to learn and how to manage time. So uh, the number of students in this class has gone up to 175 at one point, and we then met like six times so that each time only 15 to 30 students would meet. And in order to find a schedule that works for all engineering majors and computer science students, uh, there's no way we can just do it in one class period. So we each class is repeated, done four times or five times, depending on how many students the students can pick each time which session they want to go to. And then we always tape one of the classes for makeups. Um, it's pretty hard to do a makeup if you when you're dealing with numbers large number of students. So in this class, they learn college career preparation, like resumes, elevator speech how to work a career fair, how to interview. We encourage them to develop an interest or a research area, and we tell them if you don't choose a company, we'll choose for you, and you'll get some of the least popular areas. Uh, we assign a research paper to the students, and that intimidates some of them, so we cut it back a little bit to an interest paper. Certainly they can write about, do some research, get some um, more information on something they're interested in or something they want to learn more about and then work their way to a research paper. We also encourage them to do an internship and while they're doing that internship to look around and see what the bachelor degree student people are doing, the master's degree engineers or the PhD, see what they're doing and then you decide based on what you'd like to do what degree you should get. We also encourage them to get the research experience for undergrad situation uh, sponsored by NSF all over the nation each summer. And we want them to research their positions and also uh, apply to the research programs we have at ASU. My co-PI is Dr. Tony Rodriguez, and he his role is primarily as a research lead. He will work with the students, help them formulate a problem. We also do mentoring, and if it's only their first or second uh, semester at ASU, then we want them to have a senior student or a graduate student that's in the program uh, become their mentor and help them uh, through their, their first semesters. Then there's a the graduate school emphasis, and uh, we deal with a lot of students that have a lot of myths about graduate school. They really, most of them think the only reason you would go to graduate school is if you wanted to become a college professor. And, or they'll say, I don't know exactly what I want to do, so I'm not going to go to graduate school. Or if I get a master's degree, I'm going to outprice myself in the job market. It'll be a lot easier to get a job if I just have a bachelor's degree. Or, why should I pay for it? I'm going to let the company pay, pay for it. And we emphasize this is very difficult way to go. It's very difficult to work 40 hours and then take one or two classes a semester. If you're taking one class a semester, it's going to take you five years. 
uh, that some of them are very afraid of um, getting into debt, and we encourage them and say there, there are two good reasons to go in debt. If you're an engineering major, I couldn't say this for all majors, but if you're an engineering major or computer science, then either buying a house or taking out a loan for your education, and, uh, and especially a graduate degree, is a good investment. Why? Because you're going to get into the more challenging, exciting areas. It's the ticket to get into these areas in a lot of companies. You might ask, could I work on this project? And they say, no, you need to have a master's degree. The money is incidental. We're seeing that the students start out ten to 15000 more if they have the master's degree. I could tell you about a student who had to borrow $10,000 to go to graduate school for a year, and his starting pay was 15000 more than his colleagues who didn't go to graduate school. In our program, we have two uh, classes that we hold each year, always, and that's in the nuts and bolts of graduate school, uh, which is given by graduate students, and a graduate student panel. And this is the most popular of our meetings. And I should perhaps say that in this, in this meeting of this academic success class, we have both native students and transfer students and graduate students who went through the undergraduate program. The only graduate students, you had to go through the undergraduate program and we have some scholarship money for them. So as an example of what the students might learn from this graduate student panel, here's a student, Ava, who listened to us, who tell her that she needed to go to graduate school, but she said no. She, she knew she didn't have to. She was just going out after her degree. She was going to get a good job, and maybe she'd do it later. Well, she got out, and the jobs she was interested all asked for three to five years of experience or a master's degree. And after hitting this same wall time after time, she's back in graduate school after a year and a half and actually will graduate this semester. And then she told about a friend of hers who had sat next to her in her aerospace program and had said, why would you want to do graduate school? I'm going to go work right away and make the money. Well, the student did but was not happy at all with the job that he got with his bachelor's degree and is now back in graduate school. So she's actually ahead of him now. Uh, just a couple more things that we do. One is a portfolio. Uh, we work with that, um, and you can even have uh, an interview portfolio that can really help you stand out. We want the students to attend a research seminar, go to a company information session, things that you don't normally get or learn in a standard classroom. And then there are two other papers we have them write, and one is a 10-year plan, plan after their bachelor's degree. Many of these students, especially transfer students, who are, are and by but again, 90% of our transfer students have unmet financial need. So they're not thinking um, graduate school. They're thinking, I just want to graduate, get the big bucks, and, and live happily ever after. Well, we're asking, plan out for 10 years past your bachelor's. Where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? And another great exercise is for them to read the book by Richard Carlson, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff at Work. Pick out... Uh, three to five of the rules that you need to work on, such as don't keep people waiting, don't procrastinate, um, say things positive, ad avoid the negative, such as, well, I have to go to school today, but I get to go to school today. And they work on those rules for a semester and then write a paper at the end uh, about how they've done in in upgrading their habits. And th this is a really good thing to carry on into their career. So that gives you a maybe a big thumbnail of the program. Wow. I mean, I have so many questions that I want to ask you about. You know, what I'm, you know, seeing and I'm listening and what I see is that one you 
you know, you have the scholarship component, and if I understand correctly, you have some students receiving the full scholarship of the 175 who go through, and some receiving only $300 scholarship. Is that right? Right, and then there are other students in the class that are not getting any scholarship. The, okay. Uh, now, now, I should also tell you, I no longer have 175 because my college has recognized the value of this course. So uh, two years ago, they started offering a one-semester, one-credit class, and it's just a one-and-done class for new transfer students. And so a lot of the students now are going into the one-credit class. In my two-credit one, uh, I get I have then the scholarship students with the 4K, the $300 scholarships, and then other students who, by word of mouth, have said, it's a great class, take it. And we get a lot of referrals by uh, academic counselors. We get, so we get I, a few. So, so, so that's fantastic because I'm, I'm hearing two things. One is your school's institutionalized it, which is wonderful. And well, it's institutionalized part of it. it it's, it's, a, it's a simplified version of what we do. Okay. It, does not, okay. it does not include the 4.0, for instance. Which I know is really important because I started teaching <laughs> about that in my training after you presented to our uh, colleges in my Cal Women Tech project. But then I'm hearing that you have students who are participating, getting just a small scholarship or none at all because they've heard about the value of it. So that is wonderful because that really uh, gives also uh, some hope to those who, who may want to replicate this but may not you know, necessarily have the scholarship money. It's that valuable. So that's one component. Then the academic success uh, class, uh, seven classes, 75 minutes, and then an eighth class on the 4.0. I mean, mm -hmm. that's not a huge investment of time considering the kind of results that you get if you go through the program, you know, seven right. classes, right. 75 minutes, maybe eight. And then the other thing that uh, I want to call out, is your transfer center. And, you know, I've heard you speak uh, numerous times, and what this provides is the community, which we know, especially for women and students of color, when, who are often, you know, they're the few um, in engineering and computer science. There's not many. It provides right. them with a place, really a safe place, uh, that they're going to feel connected with each other. And right. provide that community, which we know is actually really critical. In addition to all the academic things, that community piece is really served by that center. And you both have a formal uh, faculty director, and then you have students who are actually transfer students who are staffing it. I'm just curious for our listeners, is the, is the director actually a uh, full-time position or part-time position? She actually is 70%. And she does not work. We do not have the center open in the summer. And this 70% is by her design, her choice. That's what the kind of job she wanted. And we figured that that worked well. Um, you really need, uh, she does so many things. And she supervises the students, so she helps make sure that they have the things to do. And she also, in, in our STEP grant that we have at the National Science Foundation, we do a lot of work with the community colleges, which includes uh, each semester they bring a van of students to our center. And so she coordinates that and coordinates our visits to the community college. So she coordinates all of that as well as being a personal advisor to the students and running the center. But she does it at 70%. Great. So the other components that I heard before we go into, we dive into more detail uh, on the strategies is that, you know, 
you have uh, a mentoring component um, that also connects the students as well with industry. Um, and you know those those pieces are really key. And then you have your graduate school component. And it may exist elsewhere, but it's the first time I've heard of a nuts and bolts class on going to graduate school. But when you think about it, especially for students who are first generation going to college period, you would see how important it would be to have exactly. a nuts and bolts course on graduate school. And exactly. I have to say, I don't know if you're the one who came up with that panel idea. Oh my God, that is just wonderful of having a panel of, you know, similarly situated students who've gone through your program, you know, about, you know, about the gra about graduate school. I mean, that's wonderful. I love I'll it. I'll tell you, we, yeah, we just had that class about a week ago, and uh, for one of the panels, I was actually able to. Have, there were six students there, and four of them are working on their PhDs, and two of them are no longer in the program because they're they're getting other funding. So, um, but but I asked them to, would they come back and talk, and they're just only too glad to do that. And so it can give the students a lot of perspective because, and and for instance, a lot of students don't know you can do a direct PhD. You don't have to sign up for a master's program first, which some students want to do, and then decide I'll decide then if I want to go on. But you can start out your PhD program right away, which really enhances the uh, the probability of getting funding. The funding goes primarily to PhD students. So that was a very valuable advice and and for the students to see see yeah, and hear. And the, and the other component, the one other component is the internship. And you know, I personally am a huge proponent of work-based learning activities uh, for at all levels and of of school. And the reason why is, you know, the reality is there's not a level playing field when you get to the workplace. I mean. Our organization has, uh, we, we had had a New Workplace for Women project. We do work on the employment side as well as on the pipeline education side, but it's not equal. I find that students that have done internships, work-based learning experiences, uh, substantial ones, they have so much more information and knowledge, it really gives them an advantage over those students who did who did not, and so I think especially for female students and students of color that are you know of which there's very few in the field, and they're probably going to be that maybe one of very few, if not the only one, on their work site. I think it really gives them an advantage. So yeah. I really uh, I really uh, wanted to call out the internship portion of what you do as well. Yes, and that's why. Uh in general, you're not going to get a preparation in the normal classroom for how do you get an internship. Now, we have a, a fantastic career services organization in the college and in the university, but we we have the director of career services come and give one of the meetings, and the uh, the suggestions that she makes to them, and the, we give them a template uh, it's not a template, but a guide for how to improve their resume and how to how to what kind of questions to ask when you go to uh, talk to a company. And following the advice that she gives and the advice that we have in our class, we have the students um, 
it's a, a difference between day and night. They went to a, a perhaps they went to a career fair the first semester they weren't in the class. The second semester they learn what they should be doing, and when they follow these guidelines, they're getting the interviews and they're getting the jobs. So there there is a lot of of preparation work that needs to be done in order for a student to secure an internship. Well, and you know that's a good point. They're getting the same skills they're going to need for getting a job. And once again, if your family, uh, you know, has not worked uh, in, in the kind of jobs that require uh, the kind of interviews, et cetera, that you would have for engineering or computer science, you really need to have some experience. And the internships uh, provide that interview experience in addition to the workplace. So let's go back to your academic success classes, of which there are uh, seven plus the 4.0, and could you just talk a little bit about, you know, what the content is in those classes? Because I know that with the kind of results that you've had with students that are considered to be among, you know, the least prepared or harder to serve than, than other groups, everybody's going to want to know what are in those classes, you know, what are the elements that are in the classes so that they can recreate it at their, you know, colleges. Okay, so the first one I told you they need to take, uh, it's about 45 to an hour session on the guaranteed 4.0. And then the next uh, meeting that we have, sometimes, usually the f first one in the semester, I go over success tips. I have and we're going over a lot of those today in our in in our conversation. We'll be talking about those. So we go over these. Um, don't carry too many hours. Don't take more than one lab if you can help it, and certainly not more than two. Uh, so and uh, that type of information, and kind of a get acquainting uh, for the first meeting. Then there's a meeting with the career services. There's another meeting that we have. We'll bring in maybe one or two companies at most a semester. And I like to bring in a woman or an underrepresented minority, if possible. Uh, if there's a team of them, at least one of them isn't underrepresented. And select engineers that have a graduate degree so that when they're talking, they have about an hour to present. They can present about 30 minutes on their company. The other 30 minutes, I want them to talk, and I give them a list of questions to answer. Uh, do you hire master's degrees? What do you do with graduate students? And I want them to tell what the difference that has that they've had made in their own life by the fact that they have a master's degree. Uh, I can uh, think of, for instance, a, a young man who talked, and he had been on a submarine. He had done. He just told a whole bunch of things that he had done. He said he would not have been able to do any of those things in his company if he hadn't had a master's degree. So I want the students to hear from the horse's mouth. Because if they go and ask someone who didn't do graduate school, do you need graduate school? Well, they'll say no, because they didn't do graduate school and they're doing okay. They don't know the difference. So by having people with a graduate degree, that really helps. Uh, at least one of the meetings uh, have Dr. Rodriguez talk about research, about how you do a research paper, how you get into research, um, how, and just urging, encouraging students to get passionate about one area. Then I told you we have the graduate panel for one of the meetings. We have a nuts and bolts of graduate school. And we may bring in other speakers. Um, the director has given a talk on when you're looking for a company, you're not just looking for the company, you're looking for a career. And she goes through the different types of 
company uh, company organizations, hierarchical or matrix, uh, so to help the students understand that there are differences in companies and for them to do some analysis and determine which type of company would be best for them. So and how you get promoted and how promotion ladders are different and what kind of questions you need to ask about that. So that's that's another type of meeting we have. The last meeting of the year is our celebration meeting. And um, sometime I, I may bring in uh, slides from Egypt uh, and talk about some of the engineering that's done there. And then just to give them a little international focus, since my son um, lives and works in Uganda, uh, some pictures of Uganda and maybe a picture of some fifth and sixth graders, graders that we've tutored in math. Uh, I also should tell you that at we have uh, these aren't planned, but as students have very interesting projects, I will ask a graduate student to run a meeting. For instance, we recently had a meeting where a computer science student uh, took a biomedical and computer science course, learned about biomedical uh, information stuff, and then got on a project with a doctor at Mayo Clinic. And he's actually working with them wow. in an emergency room situation where he's doing the computer science part, and the, they need to know um, by law if a person's in an emergency room, a doctor needs to see them within a certain time. And they didn't have a good way of timing that, but if there is a device on the doctor and there's a device in the room uh, set up, then as soon as he comes in the room and he's near that patient, it will be automatically recorded. And when he leaves, when he left. So uh, we have we noticed that our graduate students often expand a lot by taking a master's degree or, or hone in on what they really want to do. And so uh, I will ask the graduate students to present their work. And this way the students got to see and play with a virtual keyboard for the first time. So that what an exciting, is, what an exciting that's, project. Wow. That's per, that's per, yeah, that's pretty much the program. Then. And uh, so the students are in there for a year sometimes. So they may be in there two years, uh, three or four years. But they come in as a first semester transfer. It may take them two and a half to three years to graduate and then they're in there for graduate school. And so by the time they've done several of these programs, the graduate students, I try to give them some different assignments than the undergrads. And we've had them read books such as Who Moved My Cheese and Women Don't Ask and have them just read that and then discuss it and do a, a, a small paper uh, applied to that book. I think that is such a wonderful idea. And I uh, am embarrassed to tell you, I actually have not heard of Women Don't Ask, but I'm going to go myself, look this book up and get it. And, you know, uh, the others you've mentioned I have heard of, and what a wonderful thing to incorporate into your student success classes. Now, the one thing I want to call out is the 4.0, because I now, in my Women Tech Educators training, actually teach about 4.0 because of your teaching me about 4.0 and, the, you know, the kind of difference that it makes. And I believe I remember you taught time management without 4.0 and it didn't have the same kind of impact. So can you just talk a little bit about this off-the-shelf uh, guaranteed 4.0 program because that's something that others could easily get themselves for their schools. Certainly. Uh, yes, I had been uh, running these seminars and we always had time management as a part of it. And I will tell you, I had even listened to Donna O. Johnson present at a conference. I thought, yeah, what she's doing is about what I'm doing. Uh, I'm okay. 
And But when I did evaluations at the end of the semester, one of the questions would be, has this seminar series or these workshops, has, have they helped you academically? And most of the students would say no. And I would think about it. I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's right. I'm really not doing any – I'm helping them with a lot of other things, their resume and how to interview, but that's not helping them get an A in thermodynamics. So at one conference, Donna said, Mary, I've got a new book. Uh, I'd like you to read it. She gave it to me. I read it on the airplane on the way home. And I thought, this is great. I've got to do it. I started it the next semester, and what a difference. Um, her detailed time management is just not another schedule, but you're putting on there the things you need to do, which are incorporated into the process. For instance, you need to get to know your professors, so there's going to be a half-hour uh, time scheduled in your, on, your, on your weekly schedule with each professor. And you're going to carry along a list of, of when their office hours are, and you'll know where where their office hours are. So if you're walking across campus and think, oh, I've got a little bit of time here now, and I'm right close to this professor, you can go and talk to them. It's a it's a based on research. It's a learning system, and the key components are you read the material ahead before class. This way, uh, you can be noting, and you're taking bullet point notes here, and that's a whole other system. I won't go into the detail of that, but you're bullet pointing the main parts. You're not recopying the text, but you're putting down the main points, and you're noting what things you think are important and what things you have questions, what areas you have questions on. So then when you're in class the next day, if here was something you didn't understand when you read, the professor talks about it again, and you still don't understand it, you can now raise your head and say, now, I went over this you know, last week, and I didn't understand, I still don't understand, could you explain this in another way? And you'll know most people haven't looked ahead, so you know your question's a good question for everyone. On the other hand, if you haven't looked ahead, you're not going to ask a question, because there could be 12 pages uh, illustrated step-by-step -step in the book, but you don't know because you didn't look. So just because you didn't understand in class, maybe it's good in the, in the book. But if you read ahead, you'll know. Then you take the notes in class, and then, of course, there's good classroom behavior that you go through. And then you do bullet point notes right after class, and that means you don't have classes back-to-back. -back. You start the assignments the day they're assigned. If you get stuck on a problem for 20 minutes, you just stop, go to something else for a while. You go through bullet point uh, reviews. You go through the quizzes and the tests that you get back and make sure you go everything you got right as well as wrong to make sure you really understand the material. And another part of this is you get eight hours of sleep at night, and that's what makes it tough to really follow this. And you've got regular meals. And so with uh, students that try this, the reason it's called the Guaranteed 4.0 Plan is that Donna O, oh, when she first started this plan, said, okay, you've done my training. If you follow exactly what I say on this plan, you will get a 4.0. If you don't, come and tell me, and I'll give you $100. She's never given out $100. A few years ago, a young man came to her and he says, I'm going to be your first one to get $100. So he started out the semester. End of the semester, she didn't hear from him. So she looked him up and said, hey, what's happened? He said, well, I sort of got a 4.0. <laughs> and I, and I, I've seen this with students. I've seen a student with a 2.6, followed the 4.0 the next semester, and got a 3.98. And then figured he had it made, went back to his old habits the next semester and was right back to a 2.6. So it, it, it's, a, it's a process and you need to keep, keep doing it.
Well, but it, it, but it's a plan. It's a plan so that, and it's based on research, and it allows it allows the student then to not avoid cramming. There's no reason if you follow this plan that you'll be cramming the night before an exam. So I think this is so important for multiple reasons. Now, first of all, for our listeners, Donna Johnson herself is an engineer, and this is very much an right. engineering kind of process that she created. And right. I know that actually schools use it not in STEM subjects as well, but I think right. in particular it's important for women in STEM subjects, and here's why. The literature shows that one of the reasons that women in engineering will give that they don't want to continue is that the workload is extremely heavy. And in uh, training that I do, I also talk about how to um, help uh, all students, but female students in particular, be able to prioritize their work and hone in on what's most important. And sometimes they'll try to do everything, uh, read everything, and of course uh, that's overwhelming. And it is true that there is more work in STEM subjects, you know, it, it is true. But the guaranteed 4.0 method helps with time management so that that helps address the concern of female students in engineering that there's too much work. And I remember that one of the things that you told us, and I've since ordered uh, 4.0, and as I say, we talk about it in our trainings, is that she don't, not only incorporates the work that you're doing, but she also incorporates what I would describe as self-care, you know, uh, yeah. you know yeah. sleeping, eat, you know, eating, connecting with your family, uh, you know, uh, if you are uh, religious, going to church or synagogue, that she really provides uh, a plan for life overall. Um, and so it's not just about the work. Um, and, you know, you really sort of map it out. And so that, again, is important because we know disproportionately as a group, female students they need to connect with family, community. That's really important to them, and they're not willing to just only study, study, study. And this gives them a method to have both. Now, of course, this is good for male students as well uh, to have both. Uh, it's, uh, everybody's healthier when you can do something uh, besides just study um, or just work. But I'm so glad that uh, you told me about 4.0 so that uh, we could share it in our Women Tech uh, Educators trainings with others. Now, and it's, I know it's, and if, it, if it's okay, I would like just to say in general, you're not going to find this book in bookstores. It's just found on the web. And if you just Google 4.0, you, you can get all the information. Um, and I want to, I want to uh, say also she has now a book at the high school level, which might interest some of our um, listeners. And uh, your point about uh, it saving time, uh, absolutely, that's one thing I didn't mention. And I have students who were getting 4.0 before, and then they see the 4.0 method. They're, they're still getting the 4.0, but they're now doing it in less time because it is a very efficient way to learn material. Yep. Now, maybe, I, I, I by the way, got a 4.0 in graduate school. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why I have an affiliation uh, towards this, but... You know, what I like about it is that you can 
uh, get this. It's off the shelf. It's not very expensive. Uh, she does have her own website. It's the only place that she sells it. And I and I can tell you, Mary and I are not related to her. We, you know, we're not uh, right. in any way benefiting from this, uh, you nope. know, financially. But it's it's really off the shelf. And there's uh, guidance both for the instructors, professors, teachers, and also the students. Now, I want to make sure because uh, we just have about another 10 minutes, but I want to make sure that we get to recruitment because many of the people who are listening are with two-year colleges and they would actually love for their students to go to a four-year program like yours and then eventually go to graduate school. And so I wondered if you could sort of reverse engineer for us, you know, how do you get students how do you recruit them into your program from to your colleges? I find so often that four-year colleges overlook uh, students into your colleges, um, yet you have focused and made that your target and helped empower them to be so successful. So could you talk a little bit about the recruitment side of things and how you, how you get them there? Certainly. Uh, I started first uh, working with community colleges in about 2002, and then I was working with large local community colleges. And those are easy to recruit at. We would set up a Be an Engineer Day or a Be an Engineer event. And, of course, we had liaisons at each community college. And at this uh, one-hour event, we would, we would focus on having role models. Because it was local, we could take um, our students, especially if we went to a particular community college, we'd ask students that were from that community college to come and talk about why they chose engineering and why they transferred to our school. We would also have some engineers that uh, in a panel, local engineers, and they would say why they're an engineer, what they do. So it would be education because we need to understand that at the very bottom of all this is, in general, no students do not know what engineering is. They have no idea. Uh, we, uh, hopefully we can get to talk about that a little bit more. But so, so And you serve pizza. So you, set, you have the posters out and the signs out and say, be an engineer, and the students come. You get, we'll get 50 to 100 students to 125, no problem. You're working out with math and engineering professors, and perhaps they'll let their class out for that event during that time. And um, I do suggest that if the professor does that, you should, he should tell the students, I will be at the event to make sure uh, with the attendance, because sometimes if you let your class out for an event and if the professor doesn't follow up, the students won't go to the event. All right, so that's at a large local, co local college. Now, the last um, six or seven years, I've been focusing on non-metropolitan community colleges, that is rural community colleges. These are schools that are three to four hours away from ASU. And uh, in general, they have smaller attendance and they have a smaller number of students in their classes. We tried being engineer day with them and it just did not work. So we decided what we needed was a captive audience. And so and the only way we can do that is to go into the classroom. So our community college liaison sets up a schedule for us, and we go and visit in the, in the classes. And we go to math classes all the way from uh, college algebra through differential equations to the engineering classes, an intro to programming class, um, anywhere where there's a potential. Now, we know of the engineering engineers that came into our program 30% of them did not know what they wanted to major in when they went to the community college. Only 30% of them decided on engineering at the community college. So we know there are a lot of students there in their beginning math classes 
that don't know what they want to do. So, at, uh, and some of these professors are quite um, reticent to give us any time at the beginning, so they'll maybe say, well, 10 to 15 minutes, you know, I've got so much work, I can't give up a class period. But usually after we've been there once, the next time they'll let us have ah, 30 minutes and then pretty soon we're getting the whole class period. Because we tell the students, it's it's a win-win. We say, we, we're not here to, to pull you away. Stay here at your community college as long as you can. Take all the math and science that you can and engineering. And even if you're not going into engineering, take all the math and science you can. You've got good instructors here. You've got a small class. You're getting a lot of help. And But if you take as much math and science as you can and you choose to go into a non-technical field, someday you may find that there is no job in that and you need to switch. We have students that come back and they need to switch to a technical area to get a job. But if you've already had the basic math and science, it won't take you that long. You don't have to do a degree all over. And so our, uh, our goal in visiting these kids is to get engineering or computer science on their radar because most of the students are not thinking about that at all. We were the first engineering professors to give be on campus with these five schools and talking about engineering, first engineering professors ever on their campus. Now, my male colleague is Hispanic, and he's an EE, and he's done research in aerospace. I, of course, female, and I'm in industrial engineering. Many have never heard of it. So between the two, we make a very good tag team, and we encourage and, and try to engage the students. We get them, so we'll say, what do you plan to do? And, or what characteristics are you looking for in a career? And then we, whatever their answer is, we turn it to engineering. So if somebody's interested in being a pharmacist, especially after the pharmacy ads have been on TV, so we'll say, well, have you ever thought about being a chemical engineering engineer? Maybe it would be more fun to design the drugs than to just count them out. Uh, they want to own a company. Well, what product are we going to have? What kind of a, a manufacturing process? What kind of marketing? Well, they have no idea. Well, maybe then you'd want to be an engineer to find out about the processing. And if you're interested in business, maybe you want to think about industrial engineering, which is a combination of computer science, business, and engineering. You're going to med school? Well, what about biomedical engineering? That's one of the best undergraduate degrees you can have. Don't we advise them not to take a pre-law, pre-med, pre-something, get into a regular, um, a regular uh, major. We also offer mentoring to them and say if they're interested, we can connect them with an engineering student at ASU and they can um, talk back and forth by email. Uh, we don't get a lot of students to take us up on that, but that's something we offer. Then what really helps is we invite the students to visit our transfer center at ASU. And so the liaison at each community college once a semester brings a van load of students from their, from their college. They Then when they're at ASU, they see the support system. Even though it's a big school, they now see where you would park and where you would come to the building. They see our transfer center. They now know some people. And we especially have them talk with transfer students from their own college. So they'll know students that have come from their college are at ASU and are making it and doing very well. And, of course, we advertise our scholarships. And that is a very important step in getting, giving hope to the student that they can afford to go on to a university. That's the hard part, to keep having that money. But uh, the other things that students really want to hear when you're talking to them, some of these small towns are really hurt by the recent turndown. And so money and employment are very important to them. So we make sure that they know that the highest salary among bachelor degrees are engineers and that engineers have the lowest unemployment rate. 
And so we also do research um, by giving surveys to these students to help understand what they think about engineering. For instance, um, they may think that um, that being an engineer, you can't, you're really not helping people. Or if you're in engineering, all you're really going to do is work with um, machines and motors. Or if you're in engineering, uh, you have to love math, or you have to like math. And so we try to go through a lot of those um, myths yes. that those students have to try to get their attention. Well, I have to tell you that it sounds like um, with your presentations, there's not even an opportunity to consider being anything but an engineer. Uh, I'm, you know, I am just amazed at the creativity and also uh, at your system because you have a system around doing it. Now, there's one other thing I want to ask, and, and we are going to have to close uh, because we're coming to the end of our hour, and I know you have so much more to tell us. We're going to be doing other tele-summits, and I hope that you'll join us at one of those. But before we close, I do remember you telling me, aren't you doing some virtual uh, recruitment as well? Uh, I, I, I'm thinking that that would be interesting to others who are also in rural areas. Uh, do I remember correctly on well, that? Well, when, when we – when we do, when we go to the schools, for instance, one of the classes, sometimes in the class that we talk to, they are online to students at another campus. And so uh, in that way, we, um, in talking, we have some students right in front of us, but we're able to reach additional students who are, are, who are online students with that class. Uh, uh, is okay. that what you were referring yeah. to? So, yeah, so there's a virtual component um, as well. So good. Good, good, good. And then we have a website also that I haven't mentioned. And as you said, uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. We covered about four questions out of 12, I think. <laughs> Wait, will you come back? Will you come back for our next one? Uh, certainly. But I think could I end and just take a minute to talk about uh, the theory that our, our programs Absolutely. are based on? Absolutely. Okay. There are three main things. One is grounded theory, and that is – we, we've been talking and working with uh, students uh, for years. Uh, for example, we talk about graduate school, even if we're talking to a kid that's just taking calculus at a community college. And we thought that that would scare them out, but we wanted them to know what our program was about. Because here are the students, they're just getting going in engineering. They have the big jump to even go to a university, let alone graduate school. Certainly that's going to scare them out. Through focus groups, we found out later that actually that's why they chose us. They came to ASU because they knew we would encourage them to go to graduate school. And that was something that they kind of had in their mind but didn't really believe that they could do it. And so um, we do surveys and we find out about, about these students. Um, and then a second thing that we uh, – second uh, area that we uh, rely on is social cognitive theory. And if you look at that, you can see how that fits very well uh, with what we're, we are doing. And it's saying that your background is going to have a lot to do with your career choices. And certainly that's what happens with, uh, with us, with our students. The fact that they are growing up in a small town and uh, unemployment is a problem, that, that is something that's going to influence uh, what they do uh, in their choices. And so I could go into that more, but in the interest of time. And then the third, the third one I want to mention is Tinto, who, uh, Vincent Tinto, who recently wrote a book, Completing College, Rethinking Institutional Action. 
And he points out there are four conditions within colleges and universities that promote retention and graduation. One of them is expectations, high expectations. And we certainly have high expectations for our students. We expect them to graduate and we expect them to go on to graduate school. And uh, we say money is not a reason not to go to graduate school. Again, they'll be able to pay off their loans in a couple of years. Support, both ac academic, social, and financial support. And you, we've talked about that today. Assessment and feedback. And uh, our, the assignments in this class are just correct or not correct. They just need to get them in, in. If they do all the assignments on time and come to the meetings, they'll get an A. Or they, in fact, get an A+. Plus. And so that helps the students um, give, give them some feedback on, the, on their work. But most of that assessment and feedback is going to be in the, in the actual classes. And then fourth, involvement. We really encourage our students to get involved in student organizations. Normally two, one in your, in your major area, if you're ASME, if you're a mechanical, IEEE, if you're electrical, and then one other one, such as SWE, the Society of Women Engineers, or SHIP, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Uh, those two organizations are very um, large, quite large and very strong on our campus. And also the National Society for Black Engineers and the American Society for uh, Engineers and Scientists. So uh, we want the students to get involved. And we know also, <laughs> cramming in these last couple things, we don't want our students to be a PCP student. And that means they come in the parking lot for P, they go to class for C, they go right back to the parking lot and drive home. That's a very lonely life. It's not very happy. It's not very fulfilling. We encourage them to spend as much time on campus as they can. That's when their study groups are going to be meeting. By the way, that's another part of this, to be in a study group for every class. Uh, it, we have tell the students when they graduate, they're not going to have a crown that says, I did it myself. That is just not going to be rewarded. Engineering is a lot about teamwork. And companies need to know that you like to work with people and that you're a leader. And by being a leader in a student organization, you can show that. Uh, one last point about women and underrepresented minorities. In order to get them into our program, we not only send an email to new transfer students, but I make a phone call. And that has been the difference for because in general, underrepresented minorities and females don't have a high self-perception. And I will call them and say, look, according to everything I see, you qualify for our scholarship. Uh, have you applied? Are you going to apply? And they'll say, oh, I don't think I'm good enough. And I'll say, hey, your chances are very good. You qualify. And so with some prodding, they will apply. And that's how we get more women and underrepresented minorities. And according, it's legal. Uh, we advertise all our scholarships um, on the web. So everyone knows about it, but you're allowed legally to make phone calls to some students that need that extra help to even apply in the first place. So that's my main tip there. Well, actually, our external evaluators found in our own National Science Foundation project that of the top three strategies, personal encouragement were two of them. And the nice thing about personal encouragement is that's a free strategy. And we actually have uh, a personal encouragement uh, conversation script and talking points uh, can't emphasize it enough. Well, Mary, I can't thank you enough for spending this hour with us in the STEM Success for Women Telesummit. And I want to let you know that you are actually one of my role models 
Um, you have made such a difference in the lives of so many students from low-income backgrounds and really given them the opportunity to excel and make a difference in careers in engineering and computer science. And I want to let you know that truly you are one of my heroes. Um, I, I thank you so much for speaking with us and for your contribution to the field of broadening participation of women and minorities in STEM. It's really a privilege to have you as a presenter in our tele-summit. Thank you very much, Donna. Uh, I appreciate that this is a passion of mine, and I appreciate this opportunity to share what I've learned with others, and hopefully they will uh, be able to get the same uh, reward and enjoyment back when you see that you're able to really help and change student lives. I hope you'll come back for our next Telesummit and share more of your strategies. Thank you so much. I'd love to. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.